Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome to Paradox, everybody. Hey everybody. I'm Jimmy. And I am Josh. <laughs> yes, you Today are. we are joined by Jason Kovacs. He is the pastor of care and counseling at the Austin Stone here in Austin. He is director of ministry development at the ABBA Fund as well as director of the Austin Stone Counseling Center. He has contributed to Reclaiming Adoption, a book by Dan Kruver, uh, where John Piper also contributed. Uh, Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much. You know, I got real excited until I saw how your name was spelled. I thought maybe you were akin to Sandy Koufax, <laughs> the famous baseball player. No, no, but I hear that a lot, and I think there's a famous comedian as well, Ernie Kovacs. Oh, oh, that's true. Okay, very good. Listen, I want to ask you, first, you've been at the Stone for six years now, doing several things, but, but you know, running their counseling center. So you're right in the thick of it with uh, young families at the Stone. Uh, speaking of which, do you have a beard? Do I have a beard? <laughs> yeah, because it almost seems like a prerequisite to be on staff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I've got a beard. Uh, people, people ask me. Uh, then connect all the way. To me, you're, it looks like you're trying to grow a beard. And I, I, well, know, that's what you tell them for years. Yeah, I'm trying to grow one. I just started. <laughs> uh, okay, a couple of things. Because, again, uh, it, I, I don't know if y'all allow people with gray hair in, in your church. Uh, oh, but, yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> Now, but I mean, just young families galore. That's why I was kind of excited to talk to you, because if anyone sort of has a pulse um, on young Christian families, um, it would be you. So when you're dealing especially with young couples, they haven't been married all that long and they're already in your office. What are you seeing is maybe the number one struggle uh, that young couples are going through that you see? Uh, I, I think that the number one struggle, I mean, there, there's a, probably a top three, um, but uh, number one, I, I would have to say is uh, the, you know, for a young couple that just got married, hadn't been married that, that long, uh, it, it's just making the adjustment uh, from being single mm -hmm. and living a single life, which really, you know, you're able to, you're able to get away with a lot of selfishness when you're single. And, and not really know it. Uh, and then, I, and so I see just a lot of young couples having to make that major adjustment to, mm -hmm. uh, to now having their selfishness pointed out or, or just completely exposed because they now have, have yes. a spouse and, uh, you know, so from real small things to, to really big things. And, uh, and so some couples do well at that, uh, and some really don't do well at right. making that adjustment. Yeah. Uh, totally agree with that. And, you know, when you call single people selfish, it's not like it's a, it's a negative as much as when they wake up, that's all they have to deal with is themselves. 
Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I, I was right there with them too before I got married, and you know, it's it's why we hear people say, you know, marriage is just is just so sanctifying and uh, in a wonderful way. Um, yes. And and there's you know, there's the sanctifying things about being single as well. Now, you mentioned that, that some folks, after they get married, they do better than others um, at adjusting to, to now that lack of the ability to be selfish, in a way. Um, it, what characteristics do you, do you think separate those that, that have an easier time adjusting than, from those that do not? I, I think it, one of the things I've seen is um, <clears throat> that in the couples that, that do better, and making that adjustment are, are those that have really at some point in their life or, or they've grown up in a home or a family that has helped them uh, develop humility, uh, develop uh, an understanding that, you know, we're all prone to, to selfishness. We're all prone to just kind of see things through our own, our own lenses. And, uh, and so those that have either gone through experiences, grown up in families, or, you know, just the Lord has, has put them through a process where they've uh, realized that, uh, that, that we need to take our eyes off ourselves and, uh, and, and, and humble ourselves. And, you know, we can do that and God will do that too. Uh, you know, those are the couples that, that do well, that, you know, mm-hmm. they're not surprised uh, or they're less surprised by the the brokenness and the selfishness and the sin of of their spouse, um, they've got a lot more grace for that because they themselves see it in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much a lot more awareness, mm-hmm. I would say as well. Yeah, that awareness, uh, self insight, humility you mentioned. How much does individuals, family of origin, play into that? I think a lot. Uh, you know, it, it makes a huge difference if you grow up in a family that models and practices uh, habits of humility and. Uh, and and you know models forgiveness and repentance. Uh, you know a family that and parents that that apologize when they make mistakes, which you know every parent does. When that that just uh, it goes a long way. I mean that prepares. You know you think of our children. You know my children are 12 down to seven, and I, I have to kind of remind myself that that my apologizing to them and working through stuff uh, and, and all the stuff we do as a family, that that actually is also preparing them for marriage uh, if, if, if they're going to be married. Yeah. And something that sort of fed this uh, is now the, the average age of getting married is now bumping up towards 30 years old. And so you have these people that have over a decade of single living uh, where I'm not sure you know, certainly in America, it's ever been that way, that people have had such an extended time between adolescence and getting married. Uh, and so how do you see the, the later um, the later the age of getting married plays into this whole idea of it's harder than to mesh those two into one? Yeah, I think, I think that's a huge factor uh, because you think about, you know, that where, you know, in the past it was you you graduated high school, maybe you went to college, but then you immediately got married. Yeah. So you, you, you kind of never lived as, as a true single person. You've always maybe lived in your family home and then you lived in. Absolutely. I was married the day I turned 20. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a teenager so, one day, married the next. 
Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there's certain challenges with that, but there's also, I think, some some benefit to that because for for those that are single and you know don't get married until they're 30, they've they've I find they've built up so many habits. Absolutely. Not, not a lot of it, not even realizing it of of living life just as a single person, and and then they bring all of that into. Uh, into into their marriage. And it's not until they get married they find out how strongly they feel about some of those habits. Yes, ex- exactly. How deeply rooted they've become. Exactly. Um, and one other thing just just about your counseling, I know Josh wants to, to talk some adoption stuff, but um, also you see a lot of young parents. And what would you say from these, you know, these families with, you know, what are, what are the struggles you see that these young families are having uh, in parenting their kids? Uh, I think a big struggle that I see often is, uh, is being present, um, you know, in, in this day and age where, you know, we're, we're so busy and, uh, and so much of our lives are, are, uh, are conducted online, social media, uh, the impact of that, I, I think I see that in, in the lives of families, um, you know, so so I'd say social media and and just the busyness of life, uh, you know, going from one activity to the next to the next to the next, um, and so you know the 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 challenge of being present with with our kids of being mm-hmm. present with their kids is really really uh, big. Um, and it's a challenge. You know, it, yeah, yeah, and it, it just. Uh, they're tired from the busyness, from the pace of life, and so when they do have time, it's uh, it, it, it's just enough to kind of refill their own batteries, mm-hmm. um, and let alone have to give and give to their kids. And so, so I, yeah, I see that as being a, just a huge challenge that we have to address. Absolutely. And so, when you have uh, a wife come in because the husband doesn't want to. And she says, you know, he's just living such a selfish life. And again, it could be either way back and forth. But, you know, he just makes, he doesn't seem to, you know, uh, consider me or the baby. Uh, He just makes these arbitrary decisions. What would you tell someone who's trying to fix a problem, first of all, solo, uh, what is the best way to handle if you think your spouse uh, is still living for themselves? Uh, one of the, one of the first things I try to determine and 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 and, and encourage them towards is kind of what does their community look like, uh, and and do they have community? Are they involved in the church? Do they have a small group or missional community? Because uh, I, I, what I do find often is that uh, folks that are struggling. Um, you a lot of times don't have a community. I mean, there's a lot of people that are struggling that do have community, uh, but but that really is, makes a major major difference. Um, so for you know a wife like you you just uh, talked about who has got a husband who who's resistant and just continuing to live selfishly, uh, if they've got a small group or a community that can come around them, uh, that that's huge. I find you know because they're then able to help walk with that that couple through whatever it is they're struggling with. You know, a lot of couples will try to just keep their, their struggle to themselves. And so I'll encourage them, yeah, share, share with the people that you're, that you're in relationship with, share with your church. Yeah. Isolation is a killer. It can get messy, but, um, but that's going to be the best way forward. 
Yeah, good. So I'm assuming your community was huge when you guys started the process of adoption. Um, can you can you speak to that and just kind of overall tell us about your experience with adoption? Yeah, yeah. Our our community was huge. Uh, we we first adopted man going back uh, almost 11 years now, and we didn't have any kids. We uh, we were we just knew we wanted to have kids. And I think we tried uh, to, to do a private adoption. We were doing foster care classes. We were also trying to have a child biologically. We just tried every possible route mm-hmm. to have a child that you could. And uh, we figured whatever one happens first, then, you know, that's the Lord's will. And, uh, and so we ended up adopting first. And we ended up adopting a two-year-old and an eight-month-old uh, siblings. Uh, and so we went from zero to two kids sort of instantly. <laughs> and in the toddler, uh, in the toddler. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, actually, then we, then we got pregnant and had a baby. And, and, and I, I think a toddler and an eight-month-old, they were both sleeping through the night. Uh, you know, it, it, that, that, was, that was great. <laughs> that newborn was a rude awakening. Yeah, but our, yeah, so our, but our community really kind of came around us at that time. Uh, you know, I remember we came home from Florida where we adopted them from. We were living in North Carolina at that time and came home to our house filled with, you know, baby stuff and, you know, all kinds of toys and everything that our community had had bought and purchased that they knew that we didn't have. We weren't prepared for because we were we were actually up until the day we got the phone call preparing for a baby. We thought that that's what uh, was going to happen first. Uh, so they just they practically came around us. They brought us meals. They, you know, they they really treated us like we had just had a baby. Uh, and and I think I encourage other you know families and communities to do the same with adoptive families. I, I think sometimes we see that as something a little bit different. Sure. And we don't treat them the same way. Yep. Now I heard a house in there. Where are you from? Uh, yeah, I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada. That's what I thought. Oh, a Canuck. Why didn't you say that up front? You probably like hockey. Oh, loves it. I see. Oh, I love hockey. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Oh. Does this change you wanting him Well, on if the show? I knew we had a commie on the show, I would have pr- approached it differently. <laughs> that is such a shame. Um, all right. So, uh, you know, you mentioned your adoption. You guys have four adopted kids, correct? Yeah, four adopted and one biological. And a lot of folks that are interested in adoption really struggle to find the means, the financial means to be able to do that. You're a part of the ABBA Fund. Can you can you speak to the ABBA Fund? Yeah, the, the ABBA Fund started about 12 years ago um, with a mission to help remove the financial hurdle to adoption. Uh, the guy that founded it, a good friend of mine, uh, just himself experienced the financial pinch when it came to adoption and and through his own process and meeting other families that said hey we yeah we'd love to adopt we just there's no way we can possibly afford it um especially back then 12 years ago that was just very very common and uh so he thought man if we could just remove that financial hurdle you know how many more families would step into the process of adoption you know it's one hurdle among many but Sure. And one challenge, but uh, but such a significant one. Uh, so they started a, a uh, he started an interest-free loan fund, and uh, my wife and I were one of the first families uh, that were that benefited from the ABBA fund when we adopted our, our did our first adoption there. So that was how we got to know them, and 
and know the ministry and uh, have been involved ever since. And how long does a, a couple have to pay that back? We, we do it uh, based on the ability of, of the family. So typically it's three or five years, uh, and every dollar that they pay back uh, goes back into the fund and helps uh, another family. So it, we, we find that people are much more motivated to pay it back because they know that the money is going to be used uh, for another family's adoption. And that fund is just strictly for adoptions, like if, if I had a really good deal on a bass boat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's really? just for adoption, okay. All right. unfortunately. <laughs> now, sometimes we're surprised by this, but we marry someone with different, uh, with a different mind, with different ideas, and sometimes that can also apply to adoption. One spouse uh, has a heart for adoption and another does not and is not really interested in. How would you counsel someone that one spouse that feels very strongly that they're called for adoption and the other one really doesn't feel like um, the family should go in that direction? Yeah, I, I try to encourage or try to get couples in premarital counseling to work that out. Uh, so the earlier we can, uh, we, we can have that conversation, the better. Because uh, that's such a major, you know, a major life decision. And, uh, and so, yeah, literally, I, I, I will, we, we, and we, I think we've done a much better job of this is, in having that conversation in in, in premarital counseling. Uh, it's something, you know, in the past that we just didn't ever really think about. But I think a lot more couples now are considering adoption not as plan, you know, B or C if they can't have biological children or if, you know, in vitro fails, uh, then maybe we'll do adoption. You know, much, it's much more common now for, for mm -hmm. couples to, to recognize adoption as something that we do because of the gospel and, and the great need and yeah. And Jason, real quickly, I, I, I know that I'm the old guy in the room. And I grew up as, you know, again, you know, a young believer and going into the ministry and uh, thought I was rocking and rolling in, in our faith and in our, our young little family. The thought of adopting being part of sort of our gospel calling never entered anyone's head. No one even, no one even thought that way. When, when did you see this trend begin where we, you got all of these orphans around the world, that's our obligation to reach out. When, when did you see this, or when did this happen in this movement? Yeah, it, it is, uh, I mean, 10 years ago, it started uh, becoming much more prevalent, uh, and then it's just continued to grow, you know, to the point where now it, it really is, uh, I think, something that most people have heard about or consider, um, which is great. You know, I'd say 10 years ago, you know, most people, 95% of people adopting were adopted because they were, uh, uh, because infertility was part of their story. And, uh, and so 10 years ago, interestingly, if a church even had any sort of adoption ministry, it was under the care and counseling ministry mm -hmm. uh, because it was a ministry to, uh, couples that were struggling with the 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 loss and and grieving infertility. Now, you know, ten years later, uh, and it's just been this progressive movement, uh, not just in the U.S. but in Canada and and all around the world. You know, sort of a reawakening to God's heart for the orphan and, and the poor and um, and this gospel gospel obligation. 
now, you know, so many more churches have adoption orphan care ministries and, you know, you, you kind of survey them and some have, it's part of their mission, some it's part of their you know, family ministry, some it's, you know, it's just a standalone because um, it's just part of the very heartbeat of the church now. In, in many cases, it's, you know, thankfully it's not a program. It's not a ministry just for a few. It's, it's hey, we're all called to care for the vulnerable, the weak, and, and the least of these. Now, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, you contributed to a book um, called Reclaiming Adoption. Can you just briefly kind of speak to that? And uh, so if individuals are interested in picking that up, uh, maybe also where they can pick that up? Yeah, yeah. It's available on Amazon and all those online places. Um but yeah, we, we wrote that book, a good friend of mine, Dan Kruver, and I, he edited it and wrote the first four chapters. And uh, the heart of the book is is this idea of reclaiming adoption. And, and what we mean by that is the, the, the church historically has not spent very much time uh, on the doctrine of adoption. Uh, and what we mean, the theological... Uh, doctrine of adoption. So our understanding of who we are in Christ as his adopted children, heirs of heirs with Christ. Uh, so it's, it, you know, we saw that, we recognized that. And, and I think what we, the impetus for us writing the book was, was not only that, but also seeing this movement pick up steam in the church. And we really felt burdened that if, if, if we don't root what we do for orphans and children in the gospel and in in, in an understanding of of, uh, of of what the Bible says about uh, our call, it's just going to you know our fear was it would become another program or another ministry, uh, another fad that the church jumps on, and uh, and so we wrote the book just framing and reframing uh, biblically uh, how we should how the Bible looks at adoption and and who we are in Christ, and then the implications of that uh, on our care for uh, the orphan. That's fantastic. So if pastors out there, as well as just individual families, if you guys are interested in really digging into the theology of adoption, reclaiming adoption by Dan Kruver uh, would be a fantastic resource. So definitely Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those online sources, go check that out. Um, if you want more information about Jason, austinstone.org is the website you'll find him at. You can also find him on Twitter and Instagram. It's Jason Kovacs, and Kovacs is K-O-V-A-C-S. And if you are interested in adoption and want more information about the ABBA Fund, it is ABBAfund.org. Jason, you're the best. Thank you so much for joining us. Jason, thank you so much for your time today. It was a joy. Thank you, guys. Jason, what a great guy. Um, well, he's from Canada. <laughs> we might have listeners living in Canada or from. I am well, so sorry for you guys. They're probably thinking about leaving. He, he doesn't really believe, believe what's coming out of his mouth. <laughs> um, but, I mean, just what a sweet guy. Yeah. And seriously, you want to talk about someone who has sort of the pulse on on young Christian couples and families, it would be Jason. Yeah. And that struggle with um, making me a we. Yep. Uh, in Especially when your marriage is starting out, when you're just starting to have to fold into each other. Yeah. Uh, is a is a really really difficult time, and just about the young families, just the concept of time, 
and how busy not only our lives are, but in a very weird way, we like it busy because it feeds our self-worth and all that good stuff. Yeah, and he mentioned humility, uh, which is certainly key. I would also add, it's just the self-insight to understand and acknowledge that you don't have a monopoly on truth, that how your family did it, how you have always done it, isn't the one way to do family. Mm -hmm. And so through compromise and love for your spouse, um, uh, becoming one is, it requires that self insight and humility. He also spoke to the importance of community, um, which is, which is huge. I know that's a buzzword, but it's just surrounding yourself with people, you know, and it's, it doesn't have to be a hundred. It can, two or three. And in fact, it might work better if it's a smaller number, but uh, people that you can be honest with that can walk alongside of you um, and and mourn with you yeah, uh, when absolutely. you mourn and, and, and rejoice like Romans talks about in Romans 12. So if you guys are interested more in uh, the Paradox podcast, check out paradoxpodcast.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at jmyersfam and on Facebook at Dr. Jimmy Myers. You can find the show at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Docs Podcast, and then myself, Josh. It is at Doc, D-O-C, Josh Myers. Guys, thanks for joining the show Appreciate today. It, we'll talk to you on Monday. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescarr.com. If you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. Beth and I got married the day I turned 20. Uh, We didn't know what debt was. You just didn't think about it. Outside, you told me uh, stories about pulse cards. Oh, yes. It was like <laughs> magic. Free money. You would put this, <laughs> this plastic card in a machine and it spit money at you. <laughs>